Hey podcast listeners and happy Tuesday. This week I have a really fun one for you. I interviewed Chef JJ Johnson, who you may recognize from a slew of television shows like Just Eats with Chef JJ on Clio TV, Netflix's Street Food, which is a documentary, or you may recognize him from an episode of Selena and Chef. We chatted about his latest cookbook, The Simple Art of Rice, while getting deep into his culinary journey. We also made sure to talk about his television appearances, and we covered a wide span of topics. So make sure to give it a listen, because I think you'll really enjoy this one. Please join me in welcoming Chef JJ Johnson. Thank you so much for taking the time out and coming on. I'm really excited to meet you and I have a lot of questions for you. Oh boy. (laughs) They're all good questions, but you've just done so much that it was hard for me to narrow it down. You just have a long resume and I'm excited to kind of go through your experience and your cookbook I got in the mail a few weeks ago. So I hope you, I hope you're enjoying it. I am. I'm already bookmarking a ton of recipes I want to try because I put rice in everything that I make pretty much. That's what's up. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a long resume. I've realized, um, I've been cooking my whole life. I've cooked I started off in my grandmother's kitchen growing up in Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, she injected food DNA into my soul. My first job was a dishwasher at a country club that I used to ride my bike to. Um, and then I went off to Culinary Institute of America in High Park, New York, uh, where I was the worst person in my class. Yeah. And um, wanted to quit, wanted to quit cooking. My, my, my dad told me to stick it out. And I've been on this like really amazing journey for the last, I would say, professionally cooking probably 21 years of my life, which is wow. crazy to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've been on this journey. I still, I still feel like I have so much work to do that I haven't really accomplished everything that I've dreamed about. And food is great. And I just wrote this cookbook called The Simple Art of Rice, which I feel is rice is the greatest connector of them all, connects everybody, and that rice can help really unify the world. You mentioned that your grandmother was a really big influence in your life. And one of her staple recipes I was kind of reading through your cookbook was paella. So that was the first dish you kind of made when you started getting into cooking at a young age. Is that correct? Yeah, my my grandmother's Puerto Rican. I think a lot of people forget that there's like a huge uh, Spaniard influence uh, Mm -hmm. through the through through Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic. And um, yeah, she would make paella in a cast iron pan. She wouldn't because the stove top didn't have enough space. But a lot of mm-hmm. rice dishes that she made were the first things that I would try to cook with her. You know, there's also a recipe in the book called BB Soupy Rice, which is also known as Asopao. Um, mm-hmm. Those dishes were things that I love that I still love to make today. And I think she used to make Asopao. I mean, she used to make paella because it was a very easy dish to make for a large gathering of folks that would come mm-hmm. around her kitchen table on Sundays. And it was just easy to throw the pot in the middle, let people scoop off. Uh, very mm-hmm. luxurious, but it, it worked out uh, really well for her. I believe that. And then after she passed, you kind of took over and did your own tradition. Was that with <laughs> paella as well? Or did you kind of come up with new recipes? You know, I think for me... I try to keep my Puerto Rican side of my family alive. I, I am a true uh, person of what the African diaspora looks like. My dad is African-American. My mom is Puerto Rican and, and Bayesian from the Caribbean. So when my, when my grandmother passed away in my life now during the holiday season, especially for Christmas, I try to reincarnate her recipes at the table uh, to keep that part of our family alive. 
mm-hmm. through food. And I think a lot of people can do that or a lot of people do do that. This is my Nona's recipe. This is my auntie's recipe, right? To keep that tradition going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about food. Uh, but yeah, I'm, all, I'm always making something from hers or something from the families that keeps the table alive in our household during the holiday season when we're all together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, my, my family is very Italian and we, we kind of do the exact same thing, but I'm trying to push new traditions, add more seasoning into the, yeah, (laughs) I need more seasoning for my Thanksgiving meal, you know? (laughs) I got you. I got, well, you got, you, you, you got the simple art of rice now. So you got some seasoning in there. True. That's true. You're totally right. So a fact that I also found was really interesting about reading your cookbook is you saw an ad for the television on the television for the Culinary Institute of America. And you were like, I want to go there. So did you know from then on, really, that you wanted to go there? Yeah. I mean, Olivia, I've never thought about doing anything else in my life. I saw a commercial there like seven, eight years old, told my parents I was going to go to school, what culinary school. My, My parents at that time chuckled. And that's where I actually wind up going. I mean, it's kind of crazy to say that. And I've never done anything else but cook food uh, or be a chef. So I'm very fortunate that I live my passion, hobby, dreams in every day. But yeah, I saw a commercial. They don't got those commercials anymore, but I, that's how I did see that commercial. Yeah. It did run. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe they should put some more up. A few more people would go. <laughs> Commercials haven't died yet. (laughs) No, commercials haven't died yet. People still want to be in a commercial. They do. And you mentioned you were the worst in your class. What was the turning point for you? Your dad just said, stick it out, and then you just listened? Yeah, I mean, yeah. He was like, listen, I've been fighting for you. You've been fighting to go to culinary school your whole life, and now you're there Mm -hmm. and you're telling us you want to leave? That doesn't make any sense. So I think yeah. a lot of us have those moments where it's like we dream about doing something. And then when we get there, we see how hard it is. And then we want to pull away. Mm-hmm. Um, so my dad taught me to push 100% through. So I graduated there with my associates. And then I wound up going to Seton Hall University for my bachelor's. And that was my turning okay. point. Was I was at Seton Hall and it took a semester at Seton Hall to realize that I needed to be more around food, that food was for me. I was actually talking so much about food all the time uh, in the calf that people would be like, yo, man, you got to stop talking about food. This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so then I wound up taking a year off after graduating, working in a kitchen, and that's when I started to really start to get better. And I, I think cooking is just one of those things. Like It's like practice makes perfect. Uh, it's kind of like playing mm-hmm. a sport. You got to... Yes, you need some education. Yes, you need some inexperience. And if you could do both of them together, I think it'd pay off in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I probably need to stop talking about food too, but it's literally my job at this point. Nah, you can call me anytime. You can call me anytime. (laughs) I'm going to call you when I make those rice recipes. Please do. Please FaceTime me, whatever you need. All right. Perfect. Probably not on the holiday. I'll try to avoid that for you. (laughs) After graduating, and correct me if I'm wrong on this timeline, but you worked in restaurants like Jane, Tribeca Grill in New York, spent a month in Ghana learning about West African cuisine. I would love to learn a little bit more about your month in Ghana, what was kind of your biggest takeaway from cooking in West Africa? Yeah, I worked at Jane, opened up the first Smith. I was actually working at Morgan Stanley Executive Dining Room in New York City. I call like the secret kitchen that exists. Yeah, that you cook for the for all the MDs and executives. And I wanted to get back in the yeah, I wanted to get back in the private sector. And um, I couldn't nobody would hire me for a job. It was very interesting. So I went on this show called Rocco's Dinner Party on Bravo, and I won my episode. And this gentleman named Alexander Smalls reached out to me, who's a famous opera singer, and was like, hey, I'm working on this restaurant. Uh, Do you want to meet up? Blah, blah, blah. 
yeah, yeah. I kind of met up with him and he's like, Hey, I'm working on this restaurant, but I got invited to cook in Ghana. I don't want to cook. Do you want to come cook? Like I'll develop the recipes with you, but do mm-hmm. you want to come cook? And I was like, uh, and at that point I had these two opportunities. I could go to Ghana to cook or I could go. Now I finally mm-hmm. got a job offer. I can go work for the Tao group. Oh, and I had to make okay. a decision. Oh yeah, like two, like crazy, right? Like you go work for the Tao Group, or you can yeah. go work, or I can go to Ghana. So I picked Ghana because it was like it's a once uh-huh. in a lifetime experience. My dad said you shouldn't live life like you could have, should have, woulda. And mm-hmm. I go to Ghana, go to take over this uh, hotel restaurant called Villa Monticello, which is a beautiful boutique hotel there just to cook American themed dinners, not thinking anything mm-hmm. of it. And it was a very like ignorant, uh, very like monumental moment in my career. And when I say ignorant, it was like shame on American history, not teaching proper mm-hmm. things, right? And mm-hmm. and monumental because I never was, I never knew I was a kid of the diaspora. I just knew that I was a black kid, that American kid. Um, mm-hmm. And I really found myself through food and the people. And I wind up coming back doing extensive research on the food of the African diaspora, how it flew, uh, flowed, where it went. And then that's when we developed this restaurant and menu at the Cecil, uh, which was a claim, my claim to fame, I call it. You might say something else, my claim to fame, but my claim to fame was the first time I got to run a kitchen. I was at the helm. Nobody was cooking that style of food then 10 years ago. Uh, and right. I... I really put all my blood, sweat, and tears. But without Ghana, without West Africa, there would be no none of that moment because I wouldn't have understood the food, the people, the culture, the society, and what came from that, like how that pushed over the Atlantic Ocean into the American South and so on. Right, right. And you kind of were able to bring that cuisine. And were, was it more skills or was it the cuisine that they were cooking there that you wanted to bring back? to the US. It was the cuisines, it was the storytelling. You know, the you know, the great mm-hmm. thing about West Africa is like West Africa has touched the world. And you know, wherever there's a wherever there's wherever you wherever there's a coast on the Caribbean Sea that's that runs into the Atlantic, West Africa has touched that. And that's what you know, that's what was being celebrated. It was be celebrated the flavors of Brazil with the Japanese influence. It was the celebrations of the Caribbean. It was a celebration of Jolof Rice. It was a celebration of Gullah Geechee Islands, you know, that point in my career, that's where we were celebrating. We're celebrating those people, those flavors, those stories um, that nobody else was ever cooking um, at that level Mm -hmm. at that time. And I think a lot of that, as you travel the world and you start getting deep, you know, where maybe where your Italian family's from, or, uh, you know, when I went to Singapore to, to, when I was in Singapore cooking, like where, you know, or exploring in Singapore, learning that they're Malay, Indian, Chinese flavors. Like you only can get that in that region of the world. So really diving deep into places like that and understanding it around food has always been what I've celebrated. I call it like the, the, I am the person who cooks the food of the untold voices. Oh, I love that. That's great. I am always a big proponent of traveling. And every time I travel, I look up exactly what recipe they're known for, what ingredients they're known for. It also depends on kind of the time of year as well. But mm-hmm. I always try to immerse myself in that as fully as possible. Because if you go across the ocean and get chicken tenders, like you're shame probably not you. going to immerse. Yeah. Shame, shame on you, right? Like, right. I mean, you. you could come to America and do that. But yeah, I don't know why people, I mean, I think it sounds like you travel for food, right? I travel for food. Yes. I think some people travel for the arts or for music, but there's, you're still eating food, right? So if you're going to go somewhere, you should dive deep into culture. And I think the best point, touching point to, to understand the culture, that culture is the food and it will lead you to many places and tell you many stories. Um, that's what I'm a firm believer of, and I've seen and been very fortunate of traveling the world around food. Do you have any upcoming trips coming up that you're excited for or anywhere that you are really wanting to immerse yourself in the culture of? 
recently I haven't tried recently. I don't have anything coming up, uh, where I want to go to, but I would say like two places I went to over the last two years that were great was Anguilla, which is like this very, like you see the oh. celebration of like French Caribbean in the around that area of like St. Bart's mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But Anguilla was really beautiful. Uh, and then I was in Colombia and Cartagena, which was like, you talk about like, a, you know, the influence of like Afro Latino culture, uh, that that's, that's at its best. Food is phenomenal. Uh, the flavor profile. And then you see this food and artwork and music and it kind of like all trans transforms all together, uh, which was very exciting uh, for me. Mm-hmm. But where am I going next? I'm just in California right now with you. So yeah, <laughs> same. Honestly, yeah, the East Coast and the West Coast confuse me too sometimes because I just moved here from the East Coast tonight. So <laughs> I um, am always getting confused. But anyways, so let's talk about your newest cookbook. You mentioned it's The Simple Art of Rice. Rice is such a staple in my diet, but it's also really underrated in America. And I like I said to you, I, I started bookmarking all these recipes, like the herb shrimp with cilantro lime rice, brown rice waffles, which were I thought were really creative. How did you narrow it down? Because rice is one of the most versatile ingredients. I think 70, no, no, uh, 43 recipes didn't make the book. Every time I talked to somebody, wow. they would say, did you put this in the book or is that in the book? And I was like, oh my goodness. Like this is this is going to be tougher than I thought. And what happened was the original story for the simple art of rice was I was going to do the regions of the world, and then we started realizing okay. that I was leaving out dishes, or I, maybe I didn't know too much about that region. And one dish is not suffice mm-hmm. for a region of the world of that world, right? So if we're in the Middle East, we need to make sure we have ten, fifteen recipes. If we're in uh, Africa, South Africa or West Africa, we need to make sure we have an abundance of recipes and three or four recipes right. just not suffice. So we went back to the drawing board and said, rice is really emotional. And what emotions does rice, um, exert and rice is looked at, like you said, versatility. And it's like, okay, this is what I can have for everyday rice. This is what I can have for breakfast. This is what I can have for celebrations this is what i can have for dessert and that's how we started to divvy up the book and then that invoked more cultural items because it was like ooh, who what oh what sell what is a cell oh tajig is a celebrational dish great we're going to throw it in there because mm-hmm. that celebrates a culture and that's where we started to dive deep into things but also making people believe olivia that rice is easy it makes your life easier and nobody cooks one cup of rice so it, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm telling you to cook two cups of rice, what are you doing with the rest of that rice? Now you have rice salads and you have rice porridge and you have rice soup, right? Or you can put it in your waffles. So that's where a lot of those things came from. Uh, but also understanding culture and people and dishes that many people might have not seen or heard before. Right. I do always end up having some extra because I live alone. So I'm always cooking kind of more than I need, but I end up using it for leftovers or whatever, but I love to repurpose leftovers, especially with the sustainability aspect. I hate wasting food. So I think this cookbook is a really good way to kind of negate that and tackle that as well, because a lot of people will just throw it out or not use it, or it'll go to waste or whatever the situation is. Yeah, I mean, you have you have that rice, you have your rice left over. What are you doing? You can make rice salad, right? Like that's the beauty of the of the book. Mm-hmm. It's teaching you how to make your life easier. Exactly. And I really loved the dessert section because you don't really think of rice as a dessert ingredient. No, rice pudding, rice pudding. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) Sticky rice with mango on top. I don't really eat rice pudding. (laughs) I know. Well, that's the one I saw. And then I was like, I never eat rice for a dessert and I should. (laughs) I I think you'll love the rice cookies. The rice cookies are, are very good and one of my favorites in the dessert section. Rice cookies? Okay, I think I missed that one. I saw the mango, oh, the mango one. one. Do you have any, like, what's the top dessert combination for rice in something else? Like, do you have any 
ideas for a rice dish with just a few ingredients that people could just make? For dessert or for savory? I'm putting you on the spot. For dessert. For dessert. Few ingredients? What's a few? Like five? Two? Yeah, like five. Five? Five. I think rice pudding is the way to go. Coconut milk, cinnamon, vanilla extract, whatever okay. fruit you have left out, whatever fruit you have in your fridge, water, you're good. Rice pudding. Done. Done. can't believe I forgot about that. I'm going to have to use that <laughs> next week. It's on my list. <laughs> All right, so I have a widely general question. Oh boy. You met with a lot of rice farmers and researched the ingredient for this book and beyond this book um, for your career as well. But is there something you wish more people knew about rice in general? I think a couple of things I want people to understand is like rice can fix climate change, right? It puts the way we produce rice right now pushes out. Uh, about 12% of our methane gas, right? Cows push out 25%. So if we get rid of, if we stop producing rice the way we produce rice, we can eliminate 12% of methane gas, which can save the climate. So rice can save the climate, not by eliminating rice, but by by growing it the right, right. way, right? Um, rice is something that make, is not hard to cook. It's easy to cook. You need to wash rice. Rice doubles in size. So you need the right size pot. I think a lot of people don't realize that. And that rice was a cash crop, was a cash crop here in America at one point. And that grain was called Carolina gold rice. And that we all should know what Carolina gold rice is. And we all should have Carolina gold rice in our house the same way that we have basmati rice. Um, So those would be the areas that I wish people would know about rice. Yeah, that's interesting about the climate change aspect yeah 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 we yeah you got to look at that because we like arkansas is one of the largest the the biggest state that produces rice and most people that are growing rice are using like the flood method and rice doesn't need all that all that water it doesn't need to be flooded out so um but yeah rice could help climate change tremendously if we start to produce it in a better way uh, then we produce it now, but that has to do a lot with history and we're not going to, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do a little bit more research on that. Something that this definitely goes against your whole cookbook, but I've literally talked to so many people in the food business and chefs and all that. And I never wash my rice. So what? I know. I don't know. What's going on here? I, I don't know why. I just, maybe it was something I was never told. How's your rice come out? It always comes out great. I don't know. Comes out great? Does it stick to, Does it stick a little bit together? Does it stick um, together or is it like pearls? No, I guess sometimes it sticks together a little bit. But. You I look never- like a person that loves pearls. You look like a person that loves pearls. So <laughs> you should. Try washing the rice and you'll see it fluff. You'll see it be beautiful rice, individual grains that come together. Okay. Is there a certain look I have to have to look like I like my rice with pearl, like pearls? <laughs> yeah, I just think, I just think, I, 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 I put it like this. The people that like the finest things in life, okay. they are people that are very particular about their coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to have amazing jewelry. Um, Fair. Fall in those realms. <laughs> probably are people that wash their rice. Okay, that's fair. I always end up picking the most expensive thing, whether it's on purpose or not. So, <laughs> so yeah, I just think that when you think about washing rice, you should look at it as like... Um, like you wash your carrots, you wash your vegetable, you know, you wash your vegetables, you do do things like that. Rice is in water, it goes to a factory, and then you should wash your rice. I know some people are like, oh, you're washing off the starch, you're washing off the minerals. You're just washing off that first layer of, of, of rice starch that will allow your rice to um, cook 
evenly burst. The grain will burst. Be nice and fluffy. Um, some people are even saving that rice water now, putting it in their hair to make it grow from washing it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's why I wash my rice. And grandmas have told me around the world that they wash their rice, and I'm not arguing with the grandmas. <laughs> the grandmas know best. I'll never argue with a grandma. That's for sure. Um, yes. You're also the innovator for the made-to-order rice bowl concept with your restaurant, Field Trips, which is in New York. What's the signature meal there? Was it the jollof rice that you mentioned? Jollof rice, not jollof. The jollof, no. Um, you said it good, though. Jollof. Jollof. Oh. Um, <laughs> the field trip, field trip uh, the innovation of field trip is that most of the rice is freshly milled from the farm, the rice that we get, and that every rice dish takes you on a field trip. I would say the signature dishes there, what fan favorites are the pineapple black fried rice with salmon and peri peri sauce, the crispy chicken with the sticky with the sticky barbecue sauce, the shrimp with the coconut sticky rice and uptown curry and our famous crab pockets. I would say those are dishes that people truly love. But again, I made that concept based around that. I want people to be able to consciously eat better and I want to celebrate rice doing it. Um, that that's the reason why that I that I made field trip. I love that. So, would you expand the menu anytime soon, or is it kind of the classic core menu that you're sticking to? I think we have like eleven items now. We just launched an add-on section where you can add different things to your bowl. A lot of people want me to break out so you can build your own. I might let go one day so you can build <laughs> your own, but I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Oh, what's the um, hesitation in that? Because I'm trying to give you maximum flavor. Okay. And now you start building your own. And if you don't like it, you start bringing it back to me. But I think that the fast casual space is so into build your own that mm. that's what everybody looks for. And it might be holding us back. So I have to really figure that out. And I might be able to get more money out of folks. I was reading an article about Mod Pizza. I don't know if you're familiar with Mod Pizza, yeah. but it's called Make Your Own Pizza. Mm -hmm. And they're a billion dollar. They're a billion dollar company now. They are, yeah. It's like wow. basically from allowing people to make your own pizza. Yeah, true. You could just do that at home. <laughs> <laughs> people don't want. They want quick and easy. They just want to get it. So yeah. So that's what made me think. Like, hold on. Maybe I'm holding ourselves back. Maybe I'm not getting all the customers we want. We have all the flavor, but I get scared, like, will this not work? But maybe that's just me. Maybe that's my own pride, my own chef pride, mm. um, holding it back. So I might try it out. Maybe I'll do make build your own bowl one day, uh, one day a week. Oh, yeah. Make it like a little kind of event thing so people come back. Correct. Yeah. So thinking about it all. I know a lot of L.A. folks have, when they come eat at Field Trip, they're like, when are you going to bring to L.A.? Oh, this is what we love this. Like we would pay $19 a bowl for this. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm all about slow and steady. We have three locations now, one in Harlem, one in Rock Center, one in front of Columbia University. Amazing. And I'm just trying to, I want, yeah, I want, thank you. I want those three locations to run efficient. And I want to keep, I want to celebrate a little bit more of the rice farmers and sustainability of what we do on our menu going into 2024. Oh, love that. I'll have to try it when I'm back over the holidays. I'll, in the city a few times so where's your family where, where do you where do you where do you come what part of the city do you come to well i'm from connecticut but normally i go into manhattan for a ton of things but i've been in harlem a few times for work stuff and it kind of depends wherever work brings me is where i tend to go so well you let you let me you let me know okay all right i'm definitely gonna come So I want to switch gears to your television appearances because you've been on quite a lot of shows, Food Network's Chop, Netflix's Street Food, which was a documentary, your fifth season of Just Eats with Chef JJ. It's fifth, right? Yep, you got it. Okay. On Clio TV, what's been your favorite on-screen project so far? My favorite on-screen project. Wow. 
<laughs> street food on Netflix was dope because I was a moderator of New York of New York City talking about street food. That was pretty epic to ask me and, and get my POV on like what I considered street food and like educating the team there that the first person that had a food truck in New York City was a woman from Harlem. Why we why we highlighted Harlem Seafood Soul. I mean, I, I'm just grateful for all of them. I mean, Just Eats with, on Clio TV, having my own cooking show and a network that's growing mm-hmm. um, is is amazing to to come on to come on that network when it was like a nine million household and now it's a fifty million household to be a part wow. of that is mm-hmm. just like amazing and for a network to believe in me that much. So I'm just thankful for that to be able to show up on the screen and they keep bringing me back because you know. You know, TV could come and go. Yeah. It don't, it's not there all the time. Um, and I just did something which recently came out was on Hulu, okay. which was Secret Chef, oh, which David. was really cool. It was like a, yeah, with David, yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh. David Tang show the yeah. uh, the Secret Chef where they had this cartoon chef and nobody knew who was cooking, yeah. and it was the first time I've been on TV in a long time where I cooked. Because I passed up on a lot of things where I could have cooked uh-huh. that I look back and be like, hmm, maybe I should have did that. Um, Wait, were you a contestant? But I think when you're on judge. No, 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 no. I was, I was, a. Uh, no, there was no judges. I came in on like episode eight and threw them for a loop. They thought they brought somebody back and I was, my food was on the conveyor belt. I was like more of a mentor to them. Oh, um, okay. And it was a, and it was a rice bowl episode. Oh, it was a rice bowl. Okay, because I interviewed him for that, but I only had watched. It was before it came out, so they only sent me screeners for like the first three episodes, and I was like, "Did I miss that you were in that?" <laughs> but I guess <laughs> yeah, I was like in episode eight. Yeah. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for when they when people call me to be on television. Uh, I think I have a different POV than most people you see on television right now. If you watch my show, Just Eats, it's very fun, uplifting, different type of food. And I definitely are giving people a different point of view on food and technique and um, what you can do in your home kitchen. Right, right. Because you consider yourself, well, I mean, I saw somewhere that they wrote that you were a self-taught home cook, but you went to CIA. Who, told, who, 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 wrote, who wrote that? That's a terrible it job. Was, who wrote that? Um, I'll, I'll send you the link. I'll, I'll That's terrible. I, <laughs> I, went to, I went to Culinary <laughs> Institute of America for four years. Well, that's what I said. But if they want, if they want to pay my loan, if they want to pay my student loans, I'll pass it on to that writer. Whoever wrote that one, I'll definitely send my yeah. They could take up, they could take Sally May up. I'll pass, I'll take the home cook. They want me to be the home cook. I'll give them the Sally May. They could take the Sally May low. <laughs> I'm gonna send them mine as well because I caught this error. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. We'll tack it on top. Thank you. I did not go to culinary school, but I went to UConn, so that's. <laughs> oh, that that's some that's that's some chips. That's some chips up there. Yeah. What year did you go to UConn? Who played ball? Who played ball the year you went? Um. Well, Gino was the coach at that time for women's. I for am women's? not super well versed in the basketball players. I will say that. I went to the games. Okay, that's often. pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, big school, to- big schools. You always. Big schools are always dictated by like who was playing at if it was football, we would be talking about a football, Alabama. I mean, who was your quarterback, right? That's how you'd be dictated uh, when you went to school. But no, all good. I, I'm actually impressed that you know you're like, mm, I'm not really into that basketball thing. Yeah. Well, my friends are gonna listen to this and be like, she's the one person that doesn't know, of course. They could answer every single freaking player and I'm <laughs> And I'm the one that was just there for this. All good, aspect, all good. You know, <laughs> I I appreciate you staying true to yourself and not being like, hold on, JJ, let me see it. Like googling some names. I appreciate you staying true to yourself. That's what it's all about. You're like Gino was there. I mean, I would hope Gino. He's still there, Olivia. He's still there. <laughs> Maybe not going nowhere. Well, I knew the coaches. Kind of. I don't know. Listen, you can't bullshit sports. I can't just name random. No, you can't. You can't. You can't. People can <laughs> so, bullshit food though, because they said I was a home cook, so they can bullshit food. So. Oh gosh! Now I have to find that and send it to you. Um, 
Yeah, I I liked the social aspect of it, and the games were very fun. They were the women's basketball team was also like in my classes kind of a lot, but they would always show up late and then just eat and then leave early. <laughs> so I don't know, student athletes, man. <laughs> don't tell me about it. My my sister was one. Tell me about it. Oh yeah, she was. Well, I'm definitely not one, so. I don't know if I can speak on it either. personally. Me either. Me either. Was, did your sister play basketball? She did? did play basketball. Yeah, she played. She did play basketball Division One, Division Two. So I always oh. say you got. They had the life. Like you don't have to worry about anything. They, every. I think all I think all student athletes are like handed stuff. Like it's like, oh, this is great. This is oh, come here. I get it. Like you're producing a lot of money for the school. I understand. Mm-hmm. but it's very different lifestyle than for uh, other students, but it is what it is. It's how it goes. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot were. of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of coaches are going to come for me when they listen for this one. So <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of, I know a lot of basketball and oh, football no. coaches in the division one. So yeah. They don't care about me. <laughs> they don't. Well, I would always be in class and they'd be like, what's the answer to this? What's the answer to this? And then, cause they were in class. So you know what? They was balling. They was balling hard. I know. That's when you say, I have no idea. Is there anything you picked up from either judges, contestants, or guests, like career advice or kitchen tips that kind of stuck with you and you use today? Because you've been on so many platforms. I think the greatest thing is when you're judging with a bunch of other folks that you kind of, it's like a kumbaya moment. You kind of get to vibe off of each other, especially if we're all restaurant owners or business owners, we kind of talk about the struggles or what do you do? How did you do this? So the constant education of each other. I always love a great chat panel. Ted Allen is like amazing. We're friends today. He always checks up on me. He's a very nice guy. And I've got to know a lot of folks that way, Zakarian, Marcus Samuelson, Scott Conan, a, a lot of those, a lot of those people, Bobby, me and Bobby shoot the, shoot the, shoot the ish a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to love Bobby Flay. So yeah, I'm very thankful for being, you know, some of these folks who I admire are peers and look out and mentor along the way for me and are very supportive, mm-hmm. uh, which is very nice because they don't have to be. Right. And I think food television is just growing in so many aspects. Like I think, Guy Fury showed a lot of the world that, you know, you could potentially get a paycheck like a basketball player or NFL football player um, if you're able to really drive stuff. And I think we're seeing the food industry be very diversified by seeing people like Mr. Beast in the industry, a lot of celebrities calling themselves chefs now. So it has definitely shaken up the industry, I think, for people like me who are the expert and now have to diversify in many different ways, but it keeps you on your toes. It does. Have you worked with a lot of food influencers? Because they're self-taught and they obviously aren't quite the experts that say you are when you want to do all this research. Um, I'm curious what you're- I think one of the best food influencers right now for me is a guy named What's, What's Eating Brian. I think that's his handle. And he's crushing it like, when he came through field trip and, you know, showcase what we did there, our sales skyrocketed. Like if it was a New York wow. times piece, no, I'd never seen anything like it. And like, I've seen a lot of influencers come through and we'll get busy, but I have never mm-hmm. seen anything like what's eating Brian ever happen uh, to anywhere I've ever worked. But I do wow. think like, at, I think, and you probably remember this, right? Like right before the pandemic, food influencers were on a decline, right? There mm-hmm. was too many of them. It was like a different way. People were talking about going back to traditional marketing, newsletters, all this stuff. Right. And then after the pandemic, nobody knew where to eat anymore or what food products were on the shelf. Yeah. And that's when influencers then started to grow again to tell new point of views around food. So food influencers are crushing I find myself being a food influencer sometimes posting, where am I eating in LA? People are like, oh, where do you, where do I need to go? So I think it's a beautiful thing 
and especially for restaurants that are not getting written that do not get written about by traditional media Mm-hmm. Fluid influencers are pushing folks to those restaurants and those people need it. They need to be exposed. Some of them are mom and pop shops. Some of them are very small owned and to get a food influencer to walk by your spot and help you uh, tell your dream. I'm all for it. Yeah, I totally agree. I was just recording with a, a food influencer this morning and she has, they have a media company that's separate, but they have like 70 plus clients that were small businesses, but they're just pushing content out and they have incredible food too. They're never going to like not, they're never going to post them if they don't have incredible food as well. But, and they've helped so many small businesses. It's insane. The amount of growth that you can get from literally just like one post. Yeah. And then I think it's like, how do you keep that going? Right. Cause that's going to die out soon. So how do you keep that going? That's really key. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm a firm believer that the food industry right now is in this like wacky kind of place. People don't know what to write about. People are writing about the same things. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with the personnel who's cooking. The food is way different than what we've ever seen. The culture is very different than what we've ever seen. The places where people are cooking are different than we've ever seen. And the reason why a lot of traditional media is knowing where to go or where to eat or who to write about is because of food influencers. They're following them too. Yeah, no, I do it. So <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Yeah, it's interesting to see how the landscape, because you always, you have the Bobby Flays, the Guy Fieri's, the iconic people, and then now it's expanding so much. There's so many people that you can follow that I'm wondering if like there's going to be another iconic round of people. You know what I mean? I think there's definitely going to be an iconic round of folks. I think two things are happening. What I'm seeing is you're seeing new iconic and you're seeing old iconic. And you're seeing people Mm -hmm. going back to old iconic restaurants that want to evoke feeling. Like I went to, what is that called? Mas and it's a famous, the oldest restaurant in LA. What's the Um, name of it? I'll have to look it up. Oh, I got you. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It is. I went to it. I went to it yesterday, and it's called Moose Musos and Frank. Have you been? I don't think I've heard of that. No. Oh, it's been in LA since in Hollywood since nineteen nineteen. Whoa! I'm gonna write that. Down. I could. I, like I couldn't even get a reservation. I sat at the bar. Cool experience, and they're like same menus always been. And I think you're getting a lot of that, right? People, I think when people are dining out, they want to evoke feeling. Why right? Carbone is so spectacular? It's evoking feeling, right. or or you know, or you're going to this club restaurant because you want it, it evokes a feeling. So I see. I think you're seeing a lot of that, um, and a lot of people aren't really caring about what the media writes about either. It's like, is my business successful? Success means can I keep the door open another day? And right. then if I get reviewed or if I get this, then it's great. And I think we're seeing a lot of that and people aren't used to that. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. And when you um, go to a restaurant like that, that's when you call Bobby Filet to get you a table. Correct. (laughs) So you made it actually an appearance on Selena and Chef too early on in the series. So That's my girl. That's my girl. Yeah, you made... Uh, flavor-packed seafood gumbo. How did you mm-hmm. decide what to cook for that episode? What was the process like? How did I decide what to cook for that episode? Actually, it was a young lady on my team working with me, Constance, and we threw around a mm-hmm. lot of recipes, like, what about this? What about that? What about this? Selena grew up in Texas. She mm-hmm. probably had gumbo before, um, and, th- and I make a really great gumbo. And we threw that one of the recipes out, a bunch of other things. And the team was like, oh, great. This is amazing. A lot of knife chopping for Selena. I was like, oh, man, a lot of knife chopping for Selena (laughs) is not a good thing. But it was fun. We connected really well. Raquel, Raquel, her closest friend, we have a mutual friend. And, uh, yeah, me and Selena became really cool from that episode. Uh, I taught her how to hold the knife better. And she was very genuine. I see why she is who she is. 
She was very friendly. We talked. It was it it, it it was very it was very cool. I wanted her to add some Fritos on top because I know she loves Fritos, but I totally forgot to add the Fritos on top. But was what was very nice of her was we I asked her and her team if she could write a blurb on the back of the book for the simple art of rice. And she wrote a black, uh, yeah, she wrote a blurb for me, which was very nice of her um, uh, to, to write a blurb. So yeah, she's, um, she, it was, it was cool cooking with her through the big screen. And um, I'm always wishing her the best of luck in everything that she does. Yeah. She's incredible. I've talked to um, Aaron Sanchez was on Selena chef a while back. So I talked to him about that as well and she was he was saying how kind she was too but it's also just a fun spirited show you know like it's supposed to be like yeah they're i think they're bringing it back to food network now yes i think i'm pretty sure i saw that that's a pretty big yeah deal literally yeah, she can be. i mean Dis- discovery discovery owns it all now so wow. <laughs> if only I owned all of it. <laughs> well, we were just a part of it, right? We were just a part of it. Mm-hmm. But you good? We good? We we good? Good? We <laughs> we gonna be all right? I agree. So that's when you have to go back though onto the show and then tell her to put Fritos in whatever dish you're making. Do you like? A yeah, Fritos I gotta tell her. I tell, the, 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 the next time I I get invited to go back, I'm gonna go cook beside her in the kitchen. I'm not gonna do it virtually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you were early on, so you should do that. I know I watched her one with Gordon Ramsay, and him in the kitchen was super fun. If there's, like, one cooking show or food competition show that you haven't been on yet but want to go on, which one would it be and why? I think if I was a go not to cook, if I was a judge, I would definitely want to judge Top Chef. I think there's a lot of young kids coming through. I think there's a lot of young kids coming through there that I can lend some expertise that the show potentially hasn't had from a cooking standpoint. And if I was a go compete on a show that I haven't competed on, I would probably compete on Iron Chef. Oh, fun. Yeah. If I, if I was to do, if I was to compete in one place, I probably would compete on Iron Chef. That's a good one. Well, Padma Lakshmi is leaving. Um, pa- Padma did chef. leave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did. Yeah, Kristen so Kirsch. Take her place. Kristen Kirsch is coming. They took, they replaced her with Kristen. Uh, it's all good. I missed that news. <laughs> well, if Kristen's sick, then that, that'll be your time. <laughs> maybe, up. maybe when Tom throws in the towel, they'll give me a call. Maybe Tom will call me and yeah, say, JJ, yeah, I got you. I got you, JJ. You, <laughs> do you want to take the slot? I'm like, no problem, Tom. I got you, man. I got your back. There you go. Um, so let's talk about what next for you. Do you have any other upcoming projects or anything else that going on that you'd like to share? I'm, I'm just pushing along the way. You know, my whole my whole idea is to try to stay in this food game as long as Wolfgang Puck um, and, and mm-hmm. keep pushing and and trying to be able to put my point of view on the table. If it's in your home kitchen or if it's in your re- if it, if you come to my restaurant or buy my cookbooks or whatever else it might be, that's where, that's where my mind goes. But yeah, uh, I'm just trying to take over the culinary world one day at a time. I like that. Wolfgang Puck is an inspiration. He's in my grocery store right down here. He's literally everywhere I look. <laughs> yes, he is. He's been doing <laughs> it for a while. <laughs> He's been doing uh-huh. it for a minute. So I have a short game for you if you're up for it. I do it kind of to wrap up the podcast and with all of my guests. I'm ready for it. I'm with it. I'm with it with you. Okay. I love it. So I did a rice inspired game for you because normally I do like a foodie lightning round, but I thought it would kind of be fun to like pin one rice against the the other and then you can pick your favorite. (laughs) Does that make sense? Makes sense. I love it. I I can't wait to see this. Okay. The first one, brown rice versus white basmati rice. Versus white basmati? Mm-hmm. Brown rice. All right. Number two, jasmine rice versus sticky rice. 
Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. I want both of those rices. It's so hard now. Crickets. Um, I'm going to go sticky rice. Okay. I like sticky rice too. Probably because I don't wash my rice. <laughs> well, sticky rice, yeah. Sticky rice is okay. different, but we could talk about that another time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Number three, uh, wild rice versus black rice. Black rice. Okay. Four, I don't technically totally know how to pronounce these. So if I get it wrong, just let me know. Arborio versus Carnaroli. Carnaroli. Arborio okay. versus Carnaroli. Uh, I'm going to go with the Bumba. The Bumba rice. That's a Carnaroli rice. The Bumba. Okay. Sorry. All right. And then my final question for you is, if there is one cooking appliance or a utensil that you think everyone should splurge on, what would it be and why? Oof. One that you should splurge on? One. That you should splurge on. Mm-hmm. Keyword. That's the keyword. I'm thinking... In the splurge category, the splurge is like. Mm-hmm. Take your time. I'm gonna say splurge on a rice cooker. Oh, that's very on brand. <laughs> I let you down. I let you down. What would you splurge on? <laughs> what would you splurge on? I mean, I've gotten like air fryer knives. Everyone always says you have to have a good knife. Yeah, I was gonna say I mean, a, a KitchenAid, but some of these some of these new rice cookers is popping out here. Make it can make your can make your uh, can make your life easier, but very on brand. Very on brand. No, it's very on brand. You did not let me down. Rice cooker is a good one. <laughs> no one said it yet, which was which what is makes it good. What makes it good. Well, it was a pleasure hanging with you. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so, so much. This was super fun. And you can check out Chef JJ Johnson on Instagram at Chef JJ or his website, www.chefjj.co. You can also order his book, The Simple Art of Rice on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, and more. Hey, fellow foodies. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave me a review. And while you're at it, make sure to follow me at Livin' For Food Pod on Instagram or TikTok or email me at livinforfoodpod at gmail.com. Let me know what you're cooking up this week, which guests you would like to see on the podcast, or tell me your opinions on the latest viral food trend. Until next time, 